Well, good morning, Harvest. The series we are in is called Moses, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. The section of that series we are in is called the Big Ten, the Big Ten Commandments. And we are moving on today to commandment number four. You can open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 20. I'd love for you to have a Bible every week, and I'd love for you to open it up with me to Exodus chapter 20, where we'll cover the fourth commandment, the Sabbath rest. I know when I say the word Sabbath, it strikes different people in the room different ways. So some of you grew up in a church tradition where the Sabbath was something that uh, was real to you every weekend. In fact, how many of you grew up where the Sabbath, maybe on Sunday or Saturday over the weekend, had some rules attached to it, and it affected the way you could play or work on a Sunday or Saturday? Raise up your hand if that was you. All right. Now, I I know that many of you have that experience. For me, uh, if you had asked me the meaning of the word Sabbath growing up, I didn't really go to church very often, so I would have said, well, that's the name of one of the greatest rock bands ever, Black Sabbath. I mean... (laughs) That's about the only context I had for the word Sabbath. It's, it's part of the name of one of the greatest bands ever. Uh, and, and so different people have different understandings of the word Sabbath. It is the fourth commandment. And this commandment is kind of, uh, how do I say this? If you could, you could read past it very quickly and be like, fourth commandment, Sabbath day, I don't have to do that anymore, moving on. And you would miss so much. The fourth commandment is not an obsolete idea that no longer applies in any way. We'll see today that in looking in the fourth commandment about the Sabbath, this commandment will help us understand grand and glorious themes in the Bible. For example, creation, salvation, glorification, and even recreation. The Sabbath helps us to understand and define all of those major themes. Sometimes when I sit down to prepare a sermon, and I prepare all of my sermons from scratch, people come up to me at times and they're like, do you get your sermons online? And I'm like, as if it's just like a Google search. But I sit down and and so I, you know, blank sheet of paper. And I I didn't know where this one was going to go. And I think that the Lord has really surprised me at just how relevant and powerful this concept is. So let's pray, and then we'll learn about the Sabbath rest. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak through your word, through this sermon. Show us how the fourth commandment brings anything to our day. Show us how the fourth commandment can reveal awesome and glorious truths about you, about your will, past, present, and future We open our ears, we open our eyes, we want you to move in this room, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, let me read it, where it says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We learned so much about the Sabbath here, but starting with the basics, the Sabbath is a day. It was one day in the week, in the earliest expression of this. It was the last day of the week. And it says you're supposed to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The word holy means set apart. So it's set apart from sin. It's set apart from the ordinary. 
but it's also, it's not just set apart from, it's set apart for the Lord. So it's not for your work, it is for the Lord. It's a holy, it's a holy day. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So work, 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 six days, and then on the seventh day, take a rest and give it to the Lord. There's more stipulations here. You don't do work. Your kids don't do work. Kids had to like that when it was first announced. Moses comes down the giant flaming mountain, and he's like, hey, there's going to be a day where there's no chore chart, all right? Maybe growing up, you had a chore chart. We had a job jar. You had to reach in and pull one out, and man, if you got picking up after the dog outside, that was a bad day for you, right? But hey, this is new. There's, there's a day with no work and no chores for the kids. And then it says, your male servant, your female servant, so if you had household servants or employees, they're not working either. It says, or your livestock. So even the animals had to take it easy. My dog would be great at the Sabbath rest. My dog has a problem with rest. He's a little too good at it. Then it says, or the sojourner within your gate. So people who are in from out of town, maybe to do business, they can't work either. Then there's a reason why. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first thing you can write down is this. A principle that comes from this idea of Sabbath is this. Rest like your creator or you'll destroy yourself. The principle of rest and work is built into the Sabbath. Here we see that the Sabbath looks back to creation. The expression of the Sabbath was meant to remind God's people they have a creator. He did everything in six days. He took a rest, meaning his work of forming and filling the universe is done. And like him, you were built to work and you were built to rest. And you have to balance both of those. This principle still applies today. The principle of balancing work and rest and the principle of working very hard six days but also resting very hard a full day. We learn about our creator. We learn that he's not this slave driver who just wants you to get the job done. Work, work, work till you die. That's not him. We also learn that he doesn't just want you to rest, rest, rest. Do nothing. Just put your feet up for six days and then work a day. No, that's not him either. So God has a will and our creator made you to be like him. We learned so much about how we got here, why we're here, just from the idea of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath looks back to creation when God made everything from nothing. And I don't know about you, but I think he did a pretty great job. Don't you think God did a good job on creation? Uh, like, like maybe when you came home from preschool and you showed your parents your craft that you made, they were like, great job. They were lying. All right. Your little popsicle stick with a cotton ball glued to it was really not all that impressive compared to what God did. I, I found some really cool animals that impressed me because our God did a great job. So check it out. God made that caterpillar that has the coolest hair in the animal world. And check out that ink. You know, like, look at that. God designed and built that from nothing. And then they, then they become butterflies. Check out this next picture. Like, I owned an airbrush when I was in college because that was in. I couldn't airbrush that. And God designed that and colored it. And what an artist he is. Check out this next picture. That's a baby little turtle. God made things that are so cute. They make you go, oh, he thought that up going to hide his head in there and look like the cutest little thing. And check out this next picture. Do you remember? Oh, that's an Angola rabbit. 
I can just imagine in the factory when God was thinking things up, how he was like explaining this to the angels. It's just going to look like a cloud. Just a, just a little nose and then big cloud all around it. And then, you remember this I showed you several weeks ago, the famous sloth who hit it big, celebrity sloth. God just thought that up from nothing. So God worked and created and made things. That's our God. And he made awesome things. Time Magazine discovered recently, they ran an article on a clam that lives to be 500 years old. Good luck trying to make anything that... We, humans make things that run for how long? Like, how long is your carbon running and how long can you count on it to continue running? Like, not 500 years. And God makes things and they just keep running. He's amazing. You have a creator too. He made you. He thought you up. He hand-carved you in the womb. You have a creator. The Sabbath looks back to creation, which means inherent in that practice is their faith that they believe in a creator. Okay. Now, just put yourself in the Israelites' shoes. They left Egypt. They're standing at the foot of Sinai. They're surrounded by countries that believe different things about God. Polytheistic countries that believe there are many gods and they're all angry and they have to find ways to please them. So when they observe the Sabbath, they're preaching the truth about a creator in their work week. So imagine showing up. Here, here. I'll be the Israelite, and you will all be the pagans. Just for a second. Okay. So you're all polytheistic pagans who worship false gods. Now you come to do business with me, only it's the Sabbath day. And so I say, no, no. No business today. You'll have to wait till tomorrow. And then you're going to ask me why. Why? Ah, well, I'm glad you asked. You see, we believe that there is one creator God. Now you have to gasp. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, we do. There's only one. And we believe that he made everything. Yeah, he, one God made everything, and then, and then he got it all done, so he was actually able to rest, and so he wants me to be like him. Do you see how this Sabbath is preaching a truth to the cultures around them that's very different from what they believe? So this was a way, a weekly way, built into the commerce of this brand new nation where they were testifying not only monotheism to those around them, but a personal creator God who made them to act like him. This was revolutionary. So you can see how... We were made to rest like our creator. If we don't, we'll destroy ourselves. And the way that God had the Israelites do that was a testimony to all the nations around them. Jot this down. You were created, and you were created to need rest. God made you to work, and he made you to rest. He wants you to find out that if you just work, 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 and you never rest, you're missing what he made you for. Also, if you just rest, 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 and you never work, you're missing what he made you for. You were created, and built into your life are rhythms of rest. Your body, your heart, your mind, and your soul all need rest. Have you ever stopped to think about how, how, what's the word, humiliating it is that as humans, we have to get unconscious for like a third of our day, or we can't function tomorrow. Like, how many of you got a good eight hours of sleep last night? Raise up your hand nice and tall. Yeah, yeah. Didn't that feel great? Now, what would have happened if you got four? What would have happened if you got one? Those of you with young children and you were up all night long right now, you're like, I need what? Sleep. (laughs) If I don't sleep tonight, I'm not going to be able to drive tomorrow. What's the difference between a drunk driver and somebody who didn't get enough sleep last night? Not much. They're dozing off at the wheel. When we don't get enough sleep, we start acting like toddlers. 
We throw tantrums. We get angry with each other. I'm sorry. I just didn't get enough sleep. I didn't need to sleep. Isn't that humiliating that we need to spend about a third of our lives unconscious? It's pretty humiliating that our bodies can't go a full day without knocking itself out and recovering. You were created to need rest, to need it. And not just for the body. The mind needs relief. The heart needs relief. And your soul needs rest. You were made for that. Jot this down. So refusing rest displays several things. Foolish, a faithless, and a forgetful spirit. When you, when you refuse rest, you're displaying a foolish, a faithless, and a forgetful spirit. Foolish because you're working, 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 and if you never stop and rest and give your attention to the Lord, you're working harder than God. Who do you think you are working harder than God? Even God stopped working. When Jesus walked the earth, he went into the home of Mary and Martha. Famous story. They didn't know they were getting into the Bible. I think if they had known, they would have done differently. But Mary did the right thing. She sat down at Jesus' feet and started listening because Jesus was in her house and he was teaching. Martha thought, well, Jesus is here, which means we're going to have company. So she started doing the dishes and getting everything all cleaned and ready. And finally, she saw her sister sitting down doing nothing. And so what did she do? She hollered at Jesus, Lord, tell my sister to help me out. Now, if you're ever in the Bible, don't yell at Jesus. You might want to write that down. Okay, just You're in the Bible, don't yell at Jesus, but Martha did it. Because she's, work, 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 work. When Jesus starts talking, the work stops and you sit. Martha couldn't do it. She's working, working, working. Do you see how her work took her away from her Lord? See that? Jesus was so gentle. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Your sister has chosen the one. Only one is needed. So the many things can keep you from the one that you were made for. If you're not careful. So it's foolish. It's foolish to work instead of resting. It's also forgetful. What does that mean? Well, you can forget that you have a creator and he's doing a much better job than you keeping the universe running right. You, you have a creator. Do you know that? When you're really trying to hold your whole life together and figure everything out, do you remember you have a creator? Like he's keeping our solar system away from supermassive black holes right now. I can't do that. You think you're protecting your kids because you make them put their seatbelt on? You really think they're safer? You live on a cannonball blasted into space that's orbiting in an incinerator. All right? And there's no track. It's just floating around a giant fireball. Put your seatbelt on. Good, you're safer now. Uh, No, no. Your kids are safe because God is making them safe. You're not doing that. You look up to space and it's terrifying. The core of our earth is as hot as the surface of the sun. Do you know that? Don't mow your lawn too close to the ground. Or you might access the magma under there. You think you're safe. You really think you're keeping your kids safe. Button your coat. God's keeping you safe and God's keeping your kids safe. Have you forgotten that? Does your work show that you've forgotten that you have a creator? It's so forgetful. When you just won't stop working. The Israelites, when they wouldn't keep the Sabbath, it showed that they forgot God made a covenant with them. So the whole country is going to get an extra day of work and labor and commerce and we're going to do better. No, they've forgotten that God made a covenant. He promised to provide for them. He promised to protect them. They could rest secure 
for a whole day. The manna showed this. They'd go out for the manna six days, right? Free bread out there. And then they'd go out on the seventh day and there'd be none there. Because God gave them enough where they could grab double on the day before. God meets our needs. The Sabbath shows this. So if you're not working right, if you're working in a sinful way, you're showing a forgetfulness. You're forgetting that God is the only one who can provide for you and protect you. And what you're starting to cultivate in your heart is a self-reliant spirit. I need more of me to make it. My family, my children need more of me or they won't make it. And that is a lie. A self-reliant spirit is toxic to your spiritual growth early on. And then, heaven forbid the day should come where in your working you actually get a lot of money and get a lot of stuff and then conclude that you are the one who did it all then your self-reliant spirit is fatal to your spiritual growth. Because you think, I did it, I did it, I made all this happen, and look at what I have done. And that's false too. Be careful not to nurture a self-reliant spirit by working in a sinful way. You need rest. Refusing rest is foolish, it's forgetful, it's also faithless. Why is it faithless? Because you're not leaving room for God to accomplish what only he can. You're not saying, at the end of my best efforts, I still have needs. You, you can't live with that, see? So you keep going instead of stopping and saying, Lord, my very best effort got me here. Here's what I need from you. Do you see the faith? And when you won't stop working, you're being faithless. You're not, you're not leaving room for God to be God. And guess what? Somebody's walking around in his shoes, and that somebody is you, and you just don't fit in them. So it's foolish, it's forgetful, and it's faithless to not rest like your creator, and you'll destroy yourself. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in a creator? Do you believe in one holy creator? Do you? Do you believe he made everything in six days miraculously? Wonderfully. I do. So if you believe that, does the way you work and the way you rest proclaim what you believe about the creator to those around you? Or does the way you work and the way you rest display a foolish, forgetful, faithless spirit. And if we're honest, it depends on the week because we have to be so careful to keep that balance of work and rest right where it needs to be. Now, the Sabbath was the Old Testament original way for God to make sure his people fulfilled their calling and the thing they were created for. Work six days, work hard. Rest the whole day, rest hard. And do it because you look back and remember, I'm the creator. Now, that's the Sabbath that's in, in its original form. Now, when it comes to that, we have to ask ourselves, if this is a commandment, do we, do we have to do that? Like, are we supposed to on Saturday, which is the last day of the week, are we supposed to observe the Sabbath as it's commanded in the Bible? And if we don't do that, is it sinful? Well, let's move on to the next point. Number two, the Sabbath looked back to creation. The Sabbath also looks ahead to the cross. So write this down and then we'll unpack it. Rest in the Savior because your works don't work. Rest in the Savior because your works don't work. Just like in Exodus, we learn how the Sabbath worked and why it was instituted and how it looked back. Now, we understand that in the New Testament, the New Testament draws from this imagery of the Sabbath to teach us spiritual truths. Now, follow me here because it gets a little artistic and poetic in what the Sabbath displayed. But when it first came about, the Sabbath reenacted creation. Reenacted creation, which is a real artistic thing for God to do. Every week, I'm going to have you reenact and remember creation. In the New Testament... The Sabbath also is seen to reenact something else. 
And here's what that something is. The Israelites were in a land of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Moses, the deliverer of God, came and said, let my people go. Walked the people out of slavery where they were worked like dogs every day working. And there were whips on their back and they couldn't get out of bondage. And then they were broken free from that. And the Bible describes that process as leading them to a land of rest. See, so now... The symbolism changes a little, but the six days kind of symbolizes all that time you spent in bondage and labor and toil. See how it's a little more symbolic? And then the seventh day represents when God set you free and brought you to a land of rest. So the whole idea of a Sabbath every week looked ahead to a time that spiritual rest would come at the end of a long season of spiritual bondage. It looked ahead to Jesus. We have to rest in the Savior because our works don't work. We needed to be freed from that rest or from that work. The point here is that it acted out getting saved. You're in bondage. Day after day after day, you can't get out of slavery and then bam, Jesus comes and sets you free and brings you to a land of promise. Now let's find out where that comes from. Write this down first. Jesus fulfilled and transformed the Sabbath. Jesus came to fulfill and transform the Sabbath. We know that because in, we don't have this verse on the screen, but in Mark 2.28, Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of your rest. He commandeered the day because he fulfilled it. He also transformed it. In Colossians 2, 16 to 17, it says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Huge theology here. Uh, The Sabbath in the Old Testament, it was a shadow. It, It was a shadow of what Jesus was going to bring to fullness. So do Christians have to observe an Old Testament version of the Sabbath today? Absolutely not. In the book of Colossians, it completely frees us up, and it says you don't have to be judged on how you observe a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The Gentiles were not held to this Old Testament expression of rest and renewal. They weren't. So because Jesus fulfilled it, Jesus told the Jews, hey, you no longer have to abide by those dietary restrictions because I fulfilled it. And the Gentiles and the Jews were told this form of the Sabbath, as you knew it in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled it. So what does that mean? Does that mean now that we get less rest because we are not required to take? No, no, no. What it means is Jesus fulfilled it and he calls us to a greater expression of Sabbath rest than the Old Testament could show us. Do you get that? In other words, when you come to Jesus, you are, you are showing a greater expression of finding rest and renewal than they were in the Old Testament form. In addition, when you work for Christ and you go out and serve him you know, six days a week, you know, when you work for him, that's a greater expression of work because you're doing it for Christ. Right? So we see how Jesus transforms the Sabbath and he fulfills the Sabbath And therefore, Christians are no longer required on a Saturday to set aside a day like the Jews for rest. There doesn't need to be all these rules attached to a day. That has passed away, and we are now under a new covenant. 
Okay. So a woman came up to me after the first service and she said, I went to a Seventh-day Adventist church for 20 years growing up and they believe in a very uh, legalistic, literal expression of the Sabbath. So they meet on Saturdays and they prepare on Fridays so they don't have to work on Saturday. And they're not doing a wrong thing because they're free to worship the Lord in that way if they want. But once they start telling their people that if you don't worship this way, you're not a Christian, then that's not true. And she said she had so much guilt because she felt like, I'm not worshiping on Saturday and I'm not following the Sabbath. She's like, you know, hearing that verse in Colossians really set my mind free from that. And I said, that's great. I said, take the principles that are found in the Sabbath, but don't feel bound by the Old Testament code because the New Testament church was not held to that. In Romans 13, 5 to 6, we won't put that on the screen either, but it flat out says that some people might want to consider certain days better than others, meaning some Jews would still observe festivals or Sabbaths. And you know what the Bible says? Good for you. Good for you. If you're convinced, then you do it. But you don't have the right to judge other people based on how you express these principles because it's a gray area. So if you were raised, right now, some people who were raised you know, in an Old Testament form of the Sabbath who couldn't ride their bikes on Sunday, they're getting all mad. They're like, so I could have ridden my bike on, on Sunday? All that time, I could have gone fishing on Sunday. Thanks a lot, church. Listen, they weren't doing a wrong thing. That was a wonderful way to express finding rest and renewal in Christ. But if you were judged when you didn't do it, or if you looked down on other denominations because they didn't do it, that's where you crossed over into sin. Because we don't have the right to do that biblically. It's a gray area. And it's all because Jesus fulfilled and transformed the Sabbath. The church meets on Sunday... The reason we meet on Sunday and not Saturday like the Jews is because Jesus rose again, right? He rose again on the first day of the week. So we worship on Resurrection Day. We worship on the Lord's Day. We were, in the New Testament, given a new way to worship based on a new covenant, based on the fact that we've become new creations, based on the fact that we have the rest found in Christ and we're sent out to work for Him on a mission. All those things bound up equals a new day of worship and a new expression of that. The old has passed away, the new has come. So I hope that clarifies why we don't worship on Saturday. I hope that clarifies why we do on Sunday and how we should view people who have different opinions on that than us. But Jesus fulfilled and transformed the Sabbath. Jot this down. Therefore, Jesus alone delivers rest for your soul. The whole six days of work and finally your body gets to rest portrays something that had to happen in your soul. The whole whole Israel stuck in slavery for 400 years and then finally they get to rest shows what needs to happen to your soul. Your soul needs rest, and only Jesus can give it to you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says this, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The idea of the yoke, meaning, you, you know, it's like a, an animal working with the yoke and, and pulling the plow through the field. So it's not that Jesus says, sit down, put your feet up and do nothing. He puts you into his service, but it's when you're serving him and walking with him and worshiping him that your soul finds rest. That's where it's found. Jesus is your rest. He's, he's called the Prince of Peace. Only Jesus can bring peace to your restless heart. And he gives us this peace initially when we get saved. And he gives it to us daily when we come before him and ask for help. He gives it to us each week when we gather as a church for worship. He gives it to us every year when we seek him. Jesus is our rest, our peace. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've never 
been told that you need to be saved, but only Jesus can give you rest for your soul. You know, when it comes to finding rest, we usually seek it backwards. We pamper our bodies, we calm our minds, we warm our hearts, and we think our souls will finally be at peace, but that's not the way it works. Maybe, frankly, you've done well in life, and you feel like your body's healthy, you feel like your mind is settled, you feel like your heart is filled because you've done some good things, but your spirit is still restless, and, because, and it's because you know you're not right with God. You're, you don't know God personally. One of the organizations we partner with is called Ravi Zacharias Ministries. They're apologists who go and defend the faith around the world. And, you know, atheists will often stand up and challenge them and say, well, if there's a good God, how come there's so much suffering in this world? Valid question. But the apologist will say, if you go talk to those people who are suffering, guess what? Usually when a person is going through a season of suffering, they seek God more. And they find hope in their faith more. Do you want to know when it's harder? When it's harder to find rest for your soul? It's when all of your dreams have come true and you have everything you thought you ever wanted and you're still empty and miserable. Do you know when the apologists are talking about Jesus to people who are suffering, they get a better hearing? But when they talk to people who have everything they want in life and they're still not happy, those are the people who are suicidal. Those are the people who are saying, I don't even have anything to live for. Those are the people who can't hold their their heart together because their souls aren't happy and they don't know where to go anymore. Wow, what a powerful thing to realize that if all of your nightmares come true, you're actually in a better place than if all of your dreams come true. Because you'll forget how much you need God. Jesus alone can deliver rest for your soul. In Psalm 23, 1-3, it talks about the good shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And in that passage, it says, He restores my soul. He does. And He can do it for you if you're going through the worst trial of your life. He can do it for you. And He can do it for you if you never thought you would hit the mountaintop that you've hit. He can do it for you there. Jesus is better than your best days, and He's with you on your worst days. If you don't pick up the rest for your soul at the cross and bring it with you everywhere you go, you'll never find it. You won't find it. So we see that the Sabbath looked back to creation. We see that this idea of the Sabbath also looked ahead to salvation. When Jesus would deliver your heart into a spiritual state of rest with a holy God. Now, when it comes to that, what we have to see is Jesus can give you rest for your soul. So if you aren't resting in Christ, you're soon going to be living a defeated life. You can't do it without him. You're just going to work, work, work and neglect church and neglect your small group and your schedule just doesn't allow for that. You are going down because you need rest for your soul. You have to rest in the Savior because your works don't work. Jot this down and then be careful because rest and work can both become idols. They can both become idols. When it comes to working, God wants you to work hard in life but he doesn't want work to become your idol. This is true in your vocation, but this is also true religiously. So I, you know, I was raised in a tradition where we went to church all the time. We're supposed to at least, and we did religious ed, and we took our first communion, and we did confirmation, and we did all these things. We confessed, and all of that work was supposed to add up to a ticket to heaven. The Bible says that's not the way it works. My work isn't enough. Jesus completed all of my work for me on the cross. He did the work. 
And it's in stopping your work and resting in the presence of a holy God that you actually get in. You have to admit your work won't work. Otherwise, you can't get in. And so spiritually and vocationally, we have to make sure work is not our idol. And Christian, we have to work differently than the world around us. Do you know that if we're not careful, work can take us away from church and the Lord? And work can become an idol? When it comes to that happening, the reason it happens is because we develop a self-reliant spirit, as I talked about before. And listen, self-reliance is a trap. It's a trap. Because you can't work your way to heaven. And you can't work your way to security here in this life. Be careful. Christians, we can't work in a foolish or sinful way. We have to be different. Our work should show everybody around us that we believe in a creator and a savior who's taking perfect care of us. Our work should show that. We're not frantically trying to get everything done on our own. We're leaving room for God to be God. And let me ask you, is work your idol? Are you struggling more with work right now? Is work dragging you away from spending time with God each day or each week? Is work dragging you away from the people who God has put in your life? Maybe work is becoming an idol. But let me ask you this question. Maybe it's not work. Is it rest? Has rest become your idol? Christian, we need to rest differently than the world around us. We can't rest sinfully and we can't rest foolishly. Where does your time go when it's unguarded and you can do whatever you want with it? Where does it go? Does it go to foolish places? Does it go to sinful places? Are you seeking rest in a way that dishonors the Lord? If so, you might not be struggling with self-reliance. You might be struggling with self-indulgence. More of me comforting me. Hey, when you wake up in the morning, do you try and plan out just how much rest you can fit into a day? And do you have this quota? And if your quota is not met, everyone around you knows how upset you are. Oh, I was hoping I would just be able to sit down for a few hours. I was hoping I would be able to go and shop. And if your rest quota is not met, you are miserable to be around. Maybe rest has become your idol. And you're not happy unless you get that rest that you're looking forward to every day. Maybe comfort and maybe rest has tried to take over as your Savior and Lord. Christians, we can't rest foolishly. We can't rest sinfully. The Lord said six days we work and one day we rest. Some people are trying to flip that around. Be like, man, a good six days of rest is what I need. And then just one day of work will do. Maybe you're trying to cram your life with so much rest that it's an unhealthy amount. And at the end of all the video games, at the end of all the Netflix binges, at the end of all the travel, you're still not happy. And if you're not careful, you're going to be like, well, then I guess I need more. You're missing the point. That can't make your heart happy. Rest can become an idol. C.S. Lewis knew this. He said this, Our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. It is a serious matter to choose wholesome recreation. Hey, how are you doing with your rest? Are you resting in a way that honors the Lord in the amount, in the content of what you're looking at, what you're indulging in? How do I know? How do I know if I'm sinning in this? Well, when it comes to recreation, you have to know that recreation is different from finding rest for your soul. And recreation is not rest if it replaces Christ as your source of peace. If you're running to that 
to try and find your peace instead of running to Christ, then it's become a sin. Be careful. Rest like your creator or you'll destroy yourself. Rest in the Savior because your works don't work and know that rest and work can both become idols. So we saw how the Sabbath looked back to creation and it's a, in its Old Testament form, we saw how that showed belief in a creator God and displayed a balance between work and rest. And then we saw how the Sabbath looked ahead spiritually to after all those days of work, Jesus would deliver us to a Sabbath rest, a land of rest, a final rest between us and God. Spiritually, our souls need that. But we also see the Sabbath looks ahead to the future state, to glorification. So jot this down. Number three, rest in God's promises and you'll find peace forever. Rest in God's promises and you'll find peace forever. This truth is drawn from the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 4, verses 6 to 11, which say this. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, that means to enter into the rest of Christ, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, that's the Israelites. They didn't get into the land of rest because they lacked faith. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, <clears throat> do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Listen. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The idea here is, right now, right here, you can look around and say, I don't have peace with God. I don't have it. <clears throat> and Jesus came to give it to me. And, I'm gonna, and I haven't found peace in my work, or in my leisure, or in my family. I haven't found it yet, but I want it. And so you come and you embrace the truth about Jesus, you ask him to give you peace with God, and the Bible says you can enter into that rest right now. When you do that, you're already in a state of peace with God. Your relationship with God has finally arrived at the Sabbath. It's, your work is over. You don't have to work to try and earn him his favor anymore. It's done, and Jesus did it for you. But then, it's already done but it's not yet full yet. And when you move on to the next life, then your peace is permanent. When you move on to the next life, then your rest is forever. When you move on to the next life, there's nothing more that unsettles your soul. So you can already love it now and enjoy it now, knowing that it will arrive in its full form shortly. Do you see how the Sabbath looked ahead? Looked ahead to heaven. Basically, the Sabbath... Every week the Israelites were acting out, there's going to be a great ending to this world. There's going to be a great, peaceful, restful ending to this world. Look how the week ends. Look how the week ends. Look how the week ends. And finally the day is going to come where the ending of your life arrives. And the six days of their work week represented life, and the seventh day represents heaven. And the question we have to ask is, how is our story going to end? How is your story going to end? The Bible only gives us two possible endings. Maybe like me, a child of the 80s, I grew up reading choose-your-own-adventure books. How many of you read choose-your-own-adventure books growing up? You'd read a whole page, 
And then at the end, it would say, if you'd like to walk down into the dark valley, turn to page 16. If you'd like to explore the scary cave, turn to page 18. And then you'd have to pick. See, and I wasn't a Christian, so I would cheat. I would read ahead, peek ahead, and I'd be like, that's the ending I want. Now I'm watching for page 27. How do I get to page 27? Because that's the ending I want. But those books had multiple endings, many of them bad, most of them bad. You're falling off a cliff or, or dying in the cave or getting bit by a snake, right? The Bible only records two possible endings, and you can find out right now which one is yours. It says in the book of Hebrews that there are those who, because of disobedience, and they didn't receive the good news, failed to enter the rest, which means they didn't get into the land of promise. That's a portrait of people who didn't go to heaven. Okay? You could be in that group of people who didn't accept the good news, disobeyed God's word, and don't get into the land. That could be you. That could be you right now. How do I know? Well, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Meaning what you're hearing from God's word is your ticket into heaven. And if you disagree with this, you're hardening your heart. And, and you won't get into heaven. Here's the sad truth. If you don't accept Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of your life, this world is your heaven. Okay. This is as good as it will ever get for you. This is it. When you move into the next life, you'll have a restless, unceasing anguish for eternity. It will never end. Take the hardest work week you've ever had in this life, multiply it by eternity. Your, there is no peace, the Bible says, for the wicked. That's your forever. That's your ending to the story if you don't find the Lord of the Sabbath. But God has a better plan than that for you. He doesn't want that to be your ending, which is why he's showing you now, Jesus finished all your work. He did it all. And if you trust him, then your ending is, finally, you arrive in a state of peace, rest, harmony, but it's because of your relationship with the Lord. Christians, this world is our hell. It's never going to get worse than it is here. And once we move on from this life, we have paradise restored for eternity. Wow, what a great ending that is. Do you agree with the Bible that Jesus is your only way to heaven? Jot this down. Trust Jesus to secure you forever. The Sabbath shows you can have a, a restful ending, but only if you go to the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who, who could say from the cross, it is finished. Rest in God's promises and you'll find peace forever. And the Bible says again, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Hey, what are you trusting to get you into heaven? I talked to a man once. Back in our early church planning days, we had our offices at this dumpy little old church building in Oak Lawn. It was, it was very dirty. There were, there were fire ants all over on the ground and squirrels running through the attic and holes in the windows. It snowed inside. But that was our start. And so we had to have somebody come over and clean the kitchen once. And this guy and I started talking and he wasn't a Christian. And he started bragging about his womanizing and all of his sin. And I was just like sitting there like, I said, how do you sleep at night? And, and sometimes when I bring that up in a conversation, it's, it's kind of a good moment where the person rethinks their life. Not this guy. I said, how do you sleep at night? He's like, I sleep great. And I'm like, oh, what do I say now? So then this question popped into my mind. I said, how do you sleep like you're going to heaven when the Bible says you're going to hell? Now he had something to think about. Because he felt pretty good about himself. But I said, how do you sleep like you're going to heaven when the Bible says you're going to hell? And let me ask you that question. 
God is setting before you rest. Not only for your day, and we need it. Not only for your week, and you need it. But for your eternity. Have you come to Jesus to find rest for your soul? Have you trusted him as Lord and Savior? Or are you still trying to do it all by yourself? Do you know how your story is going to end? Because right now, the Bible is giving you a call. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God wants you to have a happy ending in his presence. Peace with God forever. That will only happen if you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's the only one who can bring rest to your soul. It's time for your works to stop. It's time for your leisure to stop being your idol. It's time for you to find rest in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a chance to respond to what you heard by praying to him right now. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are some here today who are working. They're working so hard. Their bodies are tired and weak. Their minds are frayed and filled with so many worries. Their hearts are are loaded down with cares. And, And here, your word has said to them, come to me and find rest for your souls. Jesus, I believe that you are calling some people right now who have been working tirelessly, perhaps sinfully, perhaps foolishly, to just stop working. I believe you're calling some people who have been working religiously to try and earn your favor to just stop working and to come to the cross and to admit that only Jesus can finish the work for them. I pray that there would be some right now who repent of their work, repent of their self-righteousness, repent of their self-reliance and say, I can't do it by myself. I can't, I can't get myself into heaven alone. I can't get all of my jobs done alone. I need, I need a creator to help. I pray that there would be some in their own hearts right now who are praying and saying, Father, forgive me for working sinfully. Forgive me for trusting myself. Forgive me for not letting you be God. Jesus, I trust your work that you did on the cross to save my soul. Lord, there are some here today and maybe rest has taken over. Maybe they've, been, they've done well in life and they have everything they ever thought they wanted and they're miserable. And people around them can't stand them. And their hearts are hollow and empty. And they realize now that they weren't made for things that are perishable. They were made for eternal things. Right now, may they repent of chasing after that life of nothing. And may they ask for Jesus to come in and fill their hearts with joy again. May they repent saying, Jesus, forgive me for resting in a sinful way, for trusting stuff and money and experiences to fill my heart. Jesus, I pray that you would save me and I pray that you would promise me a home in heaven where the streets are made of gold, where I can enjoy you forever. And Lord, remind us, weary Christians, that whatever we're going through, whatever our hearts are longing for, whatever our bodies are struggling with, whatever our minds are toiling about, we can come to our shepherd every day and he will give us rest for our souls. Lord, I pray that you would care for the people in this room as they bring their burdens to you. Pray that you would meet them. Pray that you would guide them. Show them, Lord, that this world has no pain. This world has no pain that you can't carry. I pray that you would fill our hearts with hope as we seek you joyfully. We ask all this in the name of the Prince of Peace, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.